to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, good morning, One Church family. Happy Sunday for those of you that are joining us live or whatever day you're joining us. We are so, so glad that you are taking the time to gather with us today. And I know many of you today are joining us in house churches across the Orlando area, and we are so glad uh, that we can gather in this form. And, uh, you know, we, even as we're emerging out of this COVID season, COVID reality, and we're looking forward to the, the future ahead of us, um, I, I know that we are, as a church, still in this rhythm that's uh, maybe a little different from what we've been used to. Uh, you know, pre-COVID, I had never missed more than one Sunday in a church gathering in my life. And so, of course, we're still in a unique season. But I got to tell you, I'm loving this moment and kind of this uh, bi-weekly rhythm that we have of uh, all church gatherings and house church groups meeting. And I know some of you may say, well, I love all church gatherings or I like one more than the other. And I really want you to understand that both are essential. When you look at the life of Jesus and the uh, life of the church in the New Testament, it's not either or, it's both and, and both are essential. And so we can't wait to be all together again next Sunday. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be kicking off a new teaching series that I'm calling Counter Culture. We're going to be looking at um, the, the Sermon on the Mount and exploring what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And so I'm so excited to be all together to do that. But today uh, is a little different environment. Again, many of you gathered in house church. If you're not in house church, I want to encourage you, uh, take some time just to reflect or maybe even invite some people over to your house. Maybe you just form a little house church with your family today uh, because small groups and relationships are essential. And so I uh, hope that you will join a house church. We're going to be kicking off a new season of house church in September with new opportunities opportunities for you to join. But even today, I want to encourage you to get together with some people and have a time of discussion. A little different format. Uh, I'm sitting down today. I've got a cup of coffee here. Maybe you've just had your breakfast uh, in house church or brunch in house church. Uh, And so today is going to be a little bit more of a discussion prompting study. And this will be our rhythm moving forward in the weeks until we're in our new building. And then we look forward to not just gathering bi-weekly, but having opportunities daily to get together in large groups and in house church, um, large gatherings, house church groups. And so we're so excited, looking forward to that. And of course, um, how good was last Sunday? That was amazing to be together at our building, the future open house, uh, just to get our feet on the ground to lift our voices in worship, to sense the faith, the expectation of what God is doing. And we're so excited about that. Uh, We have got some work days coming up that we're going to be sharing with you more information about. Uh, In fact, I think on, if my memory serves me correctly, I think it's Saturday, July 24th, Saturday of 
July 24th, I think it is, is a work day. And um, we're going to be meeting at the building. So if you've not uh, volunteered yet, you can go to ocparkdistrict.com slash events, and you can volunteer there. Also, we're gathering uh, for prayer there on, sun, uh, on Wednesdays at 7 a.m., in addition to our Zoom prayer meeting at 6.30 a.m. So lots of great things going on. All right, well, if you have your Bible today, why don't you grab it with me and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and I want to pick up on our theme that I kind of brought to you last Sunday as we were just in the parking lot and then went and toured the building. And I, I told you that I believe that, that the physical picture of the building, uh, what we see in the building in the natural, is really a physical picture of a spiritual reality that even as we are seeing this transformation that is going to unfold before our eyes in this building, the, the open house, I believe it's a picture that helps us to understand what God wants to do in us individually and also in us in our community, in us communally as well, that God is wanting to bring transformation. And I shared with you last Sunday, just quickly out of the verse of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, the old is gone, and behold, all things have become new. And that picture really brings to us the the contrast that I want you to get today between the old and the new. Uh, we saw in the building uh, currently that old, you know, rugged, gritty, rough building, but it is becoming and will become a new, beautiful place. I can't wait to gather in that place with all of you. But that's a, a physical picture of a spiritual reality of the work that God does in us. And, you know, if you want a little title for today's talk, if you're somebody that likes titles, uh, you can call this Pardon Our Dust. Pardon Our Dust. Maybe you've been to a place, sometimes I know in the airport it's still open for operations, but they're doing construction or, you know, we've all experienced it driving on I-4, uh, that it is a work in progress. And sometimes you'll see those signs that say, Pardon Our Dust. And, you know, as followers of Jesus, uh, we could all walk around with that around our necks. <laughs> we could say, pardon our dust, because we're a work in progress. You know, if you put your faith in Christ, you're not who you used to be. But the reality is that we're not yet who we're going to be. There is a process that is unfolding of transformation in our lives. And the reality is sometimes it's not always easy. Sometimes it's not always pretty. Sometimes it can be a little bit painful, but God is at work. And here's the encouraging thing I want you to hear is that what is ahead of you is far greater than what is behind you. What's ahead of you is far greater than what is behind you. Oftentimes when people talk about getting saved, they, they only know what they've come out of. I've been saved from this, but they don't know what they've been saved to. And when you come to Christ, you're not only saved from, but you're also saved to. You're saved from the old life and saved to new life in Christ. And Paul said it this way in the verse I just quoted, Behold, all things have become new. All things. 
That means our emotions, that means our desires, that means our thinking, that means our behaviors. Everything becomes new. And I want you to understand that, that following Jesus isn't just about having a change of religious identity. I've gone from not being a Christian to being a Christian. It's not just a change of religion. It's a change of everything in life, a change of nature. In fact, the word that Paul uses in that verse when he says new, the old, uh, all things have become new. In the original language, the Greek is the word kainos. Now, the Bible uses in the Greek two words for new. One is neos, which is new in terms of time. Uh, you know, every day is a new day. It's in terms of time. But kainos is not in, in new in terms of time, but new in terms of type. And Paul is saying that when you've come to Christ, you may not look any different outwardly. You don't get any younger outwardly, but you are a new creation. You have been made new from the inside out. We're going to see that in our building unfolding in the months ahead. It's going to be transformed from the old into the new. But the greater reality, and in fact, the eternally important reality, is not about the building. It's about what God is going to do through that building, and that is new people. And so I want us to understand, I believe God wants us to understand this new reality, that we are being transformed into a new creation in Christ. And so I want to look today at Acts chapter 9, because Paul, as he writes that verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that the old is gone, the new has come. Uh, how does Paul understand that? Paul understands that because Paul ain't always been Paul. Paul, the apostle, the writer of scripture has not always been that guy. He, he used to be Saul. And so Acts chapter nine, we find the story of Saul beginning the transformation. And I believe that it reveals to us some things, as I shared with you last week, that I want to just drill down on a little bit more today. So Acts chapter nine, I'm going to read uh, through this passage, starting at verse one. It says this, then Paul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that means followers of Jesus, the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him, from heaven. Then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? If you have your Bible, underword that word, Lord. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And there we find the beginning of this story of this man who would become the Apostle Paul, still called Saul, still, the Bible says, breathing murderous threats. He was angry. He was, uh, he, he was vindictive. He was filled with hate. He he was a racist. He hated people who were not Jewish, and he was exclusive even in, uh, you know, religious exclusion of people who were not true Jews. 
And so he's really just a, a terrible man. Uh, we would say, by all accounts, this is not a good man. But here he has this encounter. And suddenly, I love that word, suddenly, he encounters Jesus. And I want you to notice his language as he responds to Jesus. He, he First, he doesn't even know who he is, but he says, Lord, who are you? Who are you, Lord? Uh, he didn't know who he was encountering, but he knew whoever that person was, that person was in charge. And he calls him Lord. You know, we hear that word Lord, and oftentimes we don't understand the significance of that word. We don't use that word often in our culture today. It's not common to use the word Lord, but perhaps the only place that we do use it commonly is if we're renting maybe a house, uh, we may talk about our landlord. And that conveys the idea that I want you to get of this transformation, that transformation is the recognition or salvation is the recognition that we're under new ownership. I shared that with you last week. My, my first point is that uh, that transformation is the recognition of new ownership. Paul says, or Saul says, I don't know, even know who you are, but you're in charge. And this is a picture of what it means to come to Christ, that we are surrendering the ownership of our lives. You know, to be a follower of Jesus is not just to believe in Jesus. It is to surrender control of our life to Jesus. Now, why do we need a new owner? The Bible tells us this, that we need a new owner. We need to be bought back because we have been sold under sin. We've been sold under sin. If you know the story of the Bible, you know that God created the earth. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And he put man there to manage it, mankind, men and women, to manage it and to be his authority. But we've relinquished authority to the enemy through sin. And the whole world has come under the control of the enemy, under the control of the evil one. Why do you see death, destruction, chaos, horrific things around the world because mankind has surrendered control of the world to the enemy through sin. Now, that is a theological truth, but we have to also recognize that's not just theology, that's our own personal experience, that we have come under the control of sin. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, you've had some times where you've found yourself doing something that you don't want to do. Have you ever done that? I know I have. Even after I've come to Christ, I find myself still battling against some things that are of the old. And, you know, I find myself saying something. I think, why do I say that? It's because I was at one time under the control of the old. But the Bible says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. I love this. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul says this, that the church has been purchased with the blood of Jesus. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, was not just forgiving our sins. He was forgiving our sins. But in order for our sins to be forgiven, we must recognize the, the ownership, new ownership in Jesus. Now, oftentimes we want the benefits of that purchase, but we don't necessarily want to relinquish control. You know, I, Jennifer and I recently sold a house, 
and I was excited about the benefits of selling it, the, the finances that I would get as a result of the sale. And maybe you've done that. Maybe you've sold a house. Maybe you've sold a car. You think, wow, I'd love to sell it. I like the benefits. But in order to get the benefits, there was a moment that I had to take the keys and I had to bring the keys to the closing office and I had to surrender control. I had to relinquish the keys of the house in order to receive the benefits from the buyer. And that is true for us as followers of Jesus. Many people want Jesus to come visit. We, we want him to bring his blessings. We want to be relieved of our guilt or shame and, you know, perhaps the control or the consequences of sin. But we don't really want to relinquish control. We have a hard time letting go of the keys. But here's Paul. He's going, I don't even know who you are, but I'm saying you're Lord. You're in control of my life. And I believe for every one of us to come to Christ, there has to be that moment where we're saying, not just save me from the consequences, but take over control of my life. I'm letting go of the keys. I'm giving you control. We have new ownership. I want you to understand that. Paul was coming under new ownership. And Paul says, uh, or God says to the, uh, or actually Paul says this, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Ultimately, we're saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? You take control. Just as in this building that we've purchased, the seller relinquished the keys. He relinquished control. Now we, as the new owners, get to have our way in the building. We, need, we get to do what we want to do in the building. And when Jesus comes into your life, he gets to have his way. No longer my will, but his will be done. And you know, the greatest problem that every one of us will ever have to deal with is our own will. Re releasing our own will, not getting our way, but his way. And that's why ultimately we have to come to the recognition that his way is better than our way. You know, I like to quote Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? If we keep doing what we've always done, we'll continue to get what we've always had. We've got to come to the place where we go, Jesus, I surrender, take over, take control. It's not working anymore. And, and he comes in and he brings all of his goodness, all of his grace. And that's what happened to Paul, to Saul. He was a hateful, murderous man. He was filled with anger. You know, the Bible doesn't tell this, but Perhaps in Paul's heart, there was this sense of, I don't even like the person I am. I'm eaten up with hate. I'm eaten up with anger. Maybe you found yourself in that place where what you've yielded control to, you've become enslaved by it. And you come to the place where you go, God, you've got to help me. I get whatever it costs, I'm yielding control. That's what Saul was doing. I want you to see then, the Bible goes on to say in verse 10, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. In verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, 
how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, and he entered the house, laying his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to see not only does, did, Paul, did Saul receive new ownership, but he also received new identity. New identity. Ananias hears from God. Go and speak to this guy, Saul. And Ananias says, God, you've got the wrong guy. <laughs> I don't know if you know who this Saul is, but he's not on your side. He hates you. He hates us. I can't go talk to this guy. He's a murderer. He's filled with hate. He's a, a religious zealot, a religious bigot. And God says to him, Ananias, he's a chosen vessel. I've chosen him. And you know, for us, that should be a reminder that we can never view people according to who they have been, but according to who God has called them to be. And God says, Ananias, he's not that guy who you used to be. He's now my chosen vessel. He's got a new identity. And to be in Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, means that whatever your identity was in the past, now you have a new identity. Whatever you look to in the past, you know, for Saul, he looked to his own religious self-righteousness. He looked to his own ethnicity. He looked to his own track record of success. And we can be the same way. We can look to our own accolades. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've accomplished? We can look to our own, you know, natural identity, whether it's ethnicity or sexuality or, you know, even our own uh, national identity as our ultimate source of identity. But I want you to know that when you come to Christ, you've got a greater identity. You've got a new identity in Christ. And whatever you were in the past now has been superseded by this greater reality of who God calls you to be. And when God speaks that over us, we should never hold on to the old identity. We need to embrace and receive the new identity. And here Ananias comes in and he says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. Now, I don't know if those words got choked up a little bit in Ananias' throat, because up until this point, he hadn't been acting. Saul had not been acting much like a brother. He had not done anything that acted like he was a follower of Jesus. But Ananias recognizes if God says he's a brother, who am I to give him any other identity? Who am I to hold him to the old identity? Who am I to, to hold him back? according to what he was in the natural. He's now a brother. And what I want you to see is that as Ananias, the first one to recognize that he was not just Saul the murderer, but now he's brother Saul. Out of that identity came a new activity for Saul. In fact, ultimately Saul's identity became trans so transformed that he even changed his name from Saul to Paul. 
And now people call him St. Paul, Paul the Apostle. But he used to be Saul the murderer. But he's got a new identity. And that's why Paul later said this, that, you know, some of us in the past were bound by an old identity, sexually immoral, greedy, hateful, murderers. We mouthed off. We were angry at everybody. But he says, but you and, and such were some of you. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 11, some of you used to be those things, but now you've been washed, but you've been sanctified. You've been cleansed. The old is gone and there's a new identity that has come. You know, the enemy would always like to hold you to the old identity. In fact, the world that we live in likes to propose that we find our identity in everything other than what God says about us. The, the mentality of our day embraces what is called expressive individualism, which is really the outgrowth of Sigmund Freud's ideology that our identity is based on our internal desires. You know, Jesus says this, if you just give in to your desires, you'll end up becoming enslaved by your desires. But the world that we live in says, no, give in to your desires. Not just give in to your desires, but what you want is who you are. And it will ultimately lead us to enslavement to those things. But when we submit our desires to Christ, we receive a new identity. And out of that new identity comes a new activity. You know, maybe you've always been, you know, maybe in your family, you have always thought, well, we're just kind of an angry group of people. We get angry. We lose our temper. Maybe... Um, there are some mistakes that you've made in the past and you've believed the lie that because that's what you've done, that's who you are. Or maybe you have found your identity just in your own accomplishments. You know, I drive this car, I've got this house, I live in this neighborhood. Or maybe it's in your ethnicity or your nationality. And I know that's who we are in the natural. But when we come to Christ, we've got a new identity that supersedes anything in the natural. We've got a new identity. That's why we should love one another. And our new activity flows out of our new identity in Christ. Saul, who had been a murderer, now is brother Saul, who becomes the apostle Paul. And the one who had in the past been an angry, hateful man, now as Ananias speaks these loving words, brother, you're my brother. You're not my enemy. You're my brother. The work of the Holy Spirit transformed Saul. In fact, Saul spent years in the desert where God was just working on him. It's kind of like in this building. We're going to move in and we're going to take control of this building. We're going to, we're going to renovate, bring out the old. We're going to cut out some old stuff. Why? Because it's not what it used to be. It has a new identity. I already call it the open house. Now, it still bears the mark of being something other than the open house, but I'm speaking the identity. And when you come to Christ, Jesus says you're a new creation. You have a new identity. And out of that new identity will come new activity. Maybe you're battling old habits. Maybe you're battling old ways of thinking. I want to tell you, meditate on what God says about you. You're not a loser. You're not defeated. You're not a failure. 
You're loved by God. You're victorious through Jesus Christ. When we recognize our identity, we will transform our activity. Our behavior will begin to line up with who we believe God says we are. And so Saul not only had new ownership, but he also had a new identity. And the third thing I want you to see is he also had new purpose. New purpose. God says to Ananias that this man, Saul, who was a murderer, he says in Acts 9, 15, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. When God saved Saul, he didn't just save him from the past, but he saved him for a purpose. And when you come to Christ, you're not only saved from the past, you're saved for a new purpose. God takes the old and he works in it and from it a new purpose. He repurposes it. You know, on this building that we're working on, we're repurposing some things. We're taking the old floor plan and where there used to be a paint bay, we're going to turn it into a sanctuary where God's presence comes and the, 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 the church gathers and prays together. Where there used to be you know, a mechanic shop. We're going to turn it into a place where kids can run and play. And we're repurposing those things. The doors where vehicles used to drive in, we're going to pull them up. We're going to have a cup of coffee. We're going to build a beautiful porch out front. But more than the natural thing, I want you to understand God wants to repurpose your life. He takes what was old and he repurposes it for his purpose. And Saul, who was had this... Um, you know, this intense passion. And when he was against God, he was all the way against God. When he was against the church, he was all the way against the church. He hated the church. He would eat, sleep, and breathe. I hate the church. But, but when he comes to Christ, he becomes repurposed. God takes the, the things that were in him and he repurposes it. No longer did he eat, sleep, and breathe. I hate the church. Now Saul, who becomes Paul, begins to eat, breathe, and sleep. I love the church. I love the church. I want to live for the purpose of God. I want to live for the kingdom of God. And this passion that he used to have against God now becomes a passion repurposed for God. And I want you to understand that God gives you a new purpose. He repurposes our lives. Maybe you have some things that used to be used for your own fleshly desires. Maybe you're a singer, a musician, and maybe in the past you just used that to try to be the rock star, to get all the glory for yourself. But when you come to Christ, Jesus takes that, that gift, that talent, that ability, and he repurposes it. Now it's not singing and playing for my glory, but for God's glory. Maybe you have a mind, a sharp mind. And in the past, before Christ, you always used that to reason your way against God. But now Jesus is going to repurpose that. And he's going to use it for his purpose. He's going to use it to make you a teacher to other people. What am I saying? God wants to repurpose your life. When he saves you, he saves you not just from the past, but for a purpose. God has incredible things for you, for us. And even as we are repurposing this building, it's got a new owner, it has a new identity, and it's going to have a new purpose. I want you to see God is doing the same 
for each and every one of us. As we close today, I want to pray for you. Perhaps today you have not relinquished the keys and control of your life. Maybe you're still trying to do it your way. Maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you know you've not really surrendered control and you're not experienced the full blessings of the purchase that has been made over your life because you've not surrendered control to Christ. And maybe you need to do that today. Maybe for you, you've been living out of the old identity. Yes, you're new, but you're still stuck in the old. And you've allowed the voices of your past or the voice of our culture to give you your identity. But today, you need to recognize that you've been made new in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Or maybe you have been made new in Christ, but you've still been living for your own purpose. And today, you want to say, like Saul, Lord, whatever you want me to do, My life is yours. My future is yours. My gifts are yours. Have your way. Let your will be done in my life. I want to pray for you today. Wherever you're at, whatever of those places that you're in, I believe God has great things for us. The Bible says this, He who has begun a good work will be faithful to complete it. And so, Father, today I pray for every person that's watching this. God, I pray for us as a community. As a church, God, even as we're looking forward to moving into this new building, God, I pray that it would not just be a new building, but let it be new people in the building. God, let us be a people that truly live the Jesus life together, that reflect the love of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the nature of Jesus. God, I thank you that although we may not be perfect, Father, thank you that you are at work in us. And God, I pray today that we would relinquish ownership of our lives. I pray, God, that we would find our identity in Christ, nothing of the past holding on to us. And Lord, I pray that we would live our lives for the purpose of God on the earth. And I thank you for it, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, even as you hear that today, I want to encourage you to take some time to study, to discuss, maybe one of those areas you know God is speaking to you, that you need to experience everything that God has for you. And so I hope that you will experience that today. God bless you, church. I love you so much. Can't wait to be together next Sunday. We're going to be kicking off Counterculture. Hope you'll be there. We can't wait to see you then.